0: This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it, North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! you way to Worthy, Worthy 5, the Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber frontcourt, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout. Williams on the drive, gets it back out to hit. Long outside shot, short rebounded. May, it's over. Carolina has won the national championship, 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champion.
1: I've been the luckiest coach in the world.
0: Pump fake for three, too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champions. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way.
1: My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it. And I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh
0: Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today. Going to recap Carolina's big win over number seven, Oklahoma, in the Jumpman Invitational last night. Do everything that we normally do take a look at the box score. You'll hear from Hubert Davis. Um, We got uh, uh, takeaways and a discussion topic. Um, that we'll get to as well. But as I mentioned, Carolina goes on a neutral court and takes down the number seven team in the country, a team that was undefeated going into last night, one of the four remaining unbeaten's um, left in college basketball. Um, and Carolina handled them from start to finish, on their way to an eighty-one sixty-nine win. Um, Carolina led wire to wire. Um, For the second time against a top-ten opponent this year, they did so against Tennessee uh, back in the ACC-SEC Challenge um, where Carolina played arguably the best 20 minutes of basketball um, we've seen so far under Huber Davis. R.J. Davis was sensational, scored a game high, 23 points. Um, His seventh straight game, scoring 20 points or more. That's the longest streak by a Carolina player since Tyler Hansborough's National Player of the Year season. That's the kind of company R.J. Davis has put himself in um, to start the early part of the basketball season. Um, And as much as we talk about offense and how much fun this team has been on that end on the court, defensively they were a joy to watch, a pleasure to watch. The 69-point score were the fewest that Oklahoma has scored this season. They shot a season-low 40% and committed 18 turnovers, which led to 24 points for Carolina. And it all adds up, top to bottom, start to finish, the most impressive win of the season for Hubert Davis's squad. Oh,
0: there's no doubt about it. Uh, You know, this was a game where Carolina was going to have to be much better defensively. We talked about it so much coming in uh, against an offense that was averaging 84 points per game. Um you know was was really feeling themselves after a 10 and 0 start and yeah it, it's a game that takes place in technically a neutral site but it's technically a home court advantage for you but at the same time i mean this was a game that carolina i'm not going to say there was there was pressure a, a ton of pressure on them because we said it it wasn't a must win in our minds but this was one that it really felt like you you, you had to have Because you look, and I mean, if Carolina would have lost that game, that's three straight losses going into conference play. Your start to conference play isn't exactly the easiest start, uh, to say the least. And so, I think this was one that this team needed to show them that they are a, a really good team. And look... The games, I talked about it when we recapped the game against Kentucky. The key now for Carolina is from going to good, really good, however you want to classify them, to great. Great teams would find ways to beat, uh, you know, especially Kentucky. I don't know about uh, UConn, but great teams probably find a way to close that game against Kentucky. The thing is, it's still early in the season. And I think what last night showed is that – this team, you know, they know they need to make adjustments. They're listening to head coach Hubert Davis. Hubert talks so much about how this team needed to improve defensively. Um, now they didn't necessarily have the greatest night rebounding-wise, which is another area that he was focused on, but still, this was a group that knew what they had to do coming in. They knew they needed to be better in the half-court defensively, and they were. We didn't see the full-court press the entire night and you really didn't need to because the way that you were defending in the half-court, the way that you were running the scheme that Hubert Davis and his staff wants you to, uh, they did it at an extremely high level last night. And in the process, shut down one of the best offenses in the country on the way to a huge, huge win for them.
1: And Last night wasn't a must win. Um, it was the swing game for probably the way that your season goes in ACC play. You You win. You stay in that threshold of teams that can legitimately compete for an ACC regular season title. You lose, it's still possible, but... It may be it's harder to envision um, because you would have been, you know, under 500 against the ranked teams that you would have played so far. But you come out victorious um, on a night where Duke beats Baylor, um, another Big 12 power. It's the night after Virginia gets routed by Memphis. um, And everyone's high on Clemson, but everyone's high on Clemson in December. And then they typically tail off in conference play. And then Miami, you just don't know. You you trust their coach, you trust their their pedigree, but you know you would imagine that they're they're gonna they're gonna experience a difficulty replacing the ACC Player of the Year and a core uh, of and some core guys uh, of their Final Four team a year ago. And so I think you got to give Carolina a lot of credit um, because the way you you lost a Kentucky game, you know a lot of times that 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 costs teams two games cuz they mentally just don't respond after throwing the game away and that's what they did the other day against the Wildcats factor in the you know the the, the rebounding issues and the like but this was a team that was motivated they were energ- energized from the onset um and, and part of us i think we expected that because this was the first time we saw this team take the floor since Eric Montross passed away and we talked about how much that could have been a motivating factor? You saw the Carolina family well represented last night um, in the Queen City, as it always is. There was a touching uh, moment of silence before the game, which, if you happen to be in the arena like myself, um, was was pretty, was was pretty special and and pretty emotional to be a part of. Um, and then you see the, sh- the you know the shooting shirts, and his name is on the back and the number. I think it gave them a different sense of motivation. Because this was a guy that yeah hadn't played for Carolina in almost thirty years, but lived but lived for the program um and was around these guys before he got sick as much as possible, and we've seen Carolina historically in these types of settings when the families lost someone come out play well, play inspired and I can't help but but think that it wasn't a coincidence that. They put together their best defensive performance against a power conference opponent, their first time on the court since a big figure in and around the program passed away. It definitely isn't, and I think
0: part of it is you know, this, this is a team that I think understands The history of Carolina. These are guys that might not be the most tied to the university in terms of the length of time that they've been here. You do have some of those guys. You got RJ, you got Armando, but this this just feels different even with guys like Harrison Ingram and Cormac Ryan. And you saw those guys step up last night. They play with a lot of emotion. And I think last night they were able to sort of match the emotion of their coach on the sideline. You knew this was gonna be a game that meant a lot to Hubert Davis. And you could tell, I mean, now granted, I've I've said this, uh, I was saying this when we were talking about the game earlier with one of our uh our our coworkers here, Mac. I I think Hubert Davis has been coaching as hard as just about any coach in college basketball this year. All of these big games, he's been very animated. But last night was a little bit different. And I think that this team knew they needed to step up for their coach. They've heard what he has been preaching, especially on the defensive end of the floor. And I think finally you saw what Hubert Davis wants to see from this group. They were still switching. Just about everything, um, which is something that we we said we didn't really necessarily want to see a lot of. But the thing is, is if you're going to switch the way that you did last night, um, then I think you, you're, you're going to be able to have some success in the half court. Everybody just looked more active. Everybody was swarming to the ball. Uh, it was rare that you felt like, hey... You know, a guy somehow leaked out and got open there. There were a couple times, especially down the stretch, where that did happen. But I thought for the most part, that was the best effort that we've seen from Carolina. And I think at this point, you know, you you look at it and now it's kind of like the kid that was getting by in school with C's. We know that it is now possible for this team to defend at a high level in the half court. And now, moving forward, that's going to be the expectation from this group every single game out.
1: Well, I mean, I think the the, the thing is, is that I didn't think they couldn't do it. They did it in the first three games of the year. They just didn't do it against the better competition that they've seen since they got to the battle for Atlantis. Um, you, you saw a different a commitment to that end of the floor um did they switch a lot of things yes what but one thing that they they didn't do as much They didn't switch Armando Baycott as frequently as they have at times, and they asked him to kind of double-team, roll with the pick-and-roll, then fight back and get back to the guy that he didn't switch with. And and there was just better effort there. Um, And and, and that's the little things that really add up on the defensive end of the floor. You got that last night. Um, And another thing was their pressure, despite not pressing – they were in they were in Oklahoma's space. Like everything felt contested. every pass felt contested. Um, they extended their defense multiple times um, and, and made them have to work for everything. In the half court and beyond, and you saw that type of uh, effort, that type of commitment be rewarded in the best defensive performance we've seen so far against a power conference opponent. Let's now take a look at the box score, Um, and it's a pretty one in some areas for Carolina and not so pretty in some others despite a 12-point win over an undefeated top 10 team. Uh, Carolina shot just forty-three percent from the field. They were twenty-six of sixty, but they held Oklahoma, as I mentioned, a forty percent shooting, twenty-three of fifty-seven. This was the kicker, though. They were nine of twenty-two from three. That's forty-one percent. Uh, entering the game, Oklahoma's opponents were shooting twenty-six percent. That was the sixth few, or that was the sixth best mark in the country. At one point in the second half, Carolina was shooting eighty-three percent from behind the arc. So they were taking and making the right perimeter shot. Meanwhile, Oklahoma was held to just 30%, 7 of 23. Carolina continued to get to the foul line, 20 of 26, 77%. Meanwhile, Oklahoma got there as well 24 times, but just converted on 16 of them. They left eight points at the foul line, and that's a big reason why the margin ended up being what it was. Uh, Nine Carolina turnovers led to 11 points for Oklahoma. As we mentioned, though, 18 Oklahoma turnovers, 24 points for Carolina. Um, The rebounding, though, something we'll talk about here in a little bit as well, uh, still a problem. Um, And this is the second time I've seen Carolina live. Um, This is the closest I've been, though, to the action. Um, Simply put, this is a bad rebounding thing. They're not they're not good. They're te- you know, the and and a lot of it last night wasn't even an effort issue. They just outside of Armando Baycott, there's no one on the floor that scares you. There's not a rebounding presence on the floor. Oklahoma wasn't afraid to send guys to either glass. Um, and, and they controlled the backboards to the tune of forty one, two thirty-four, including eleven offensive rebounds, but just two second chance points. So what Carolina did much better job? in this game, as opposed to the Kentucky game, was they didn't let the offensive rebounds beat them. They got back in position, they got back in a stance, and guarded somebody. Um, so, you know, it, it, whereas Carolina's seven offensive rebounds, nine second-chance points. Carolina's bench outproduced uh, Oklahoma's bench 13-11. to Points in the paint went Oklahoma's way 30-28. to And the other kicker, and we talked about this in the pregame um, or in the preview, 23 fast-break points for Carolina, including a 13 to nothing advantage in the first half. Um, Oklahoma scored just nine fast-break points for the entire game. Uh, a season-high 10 steals for Carolina, and the Heels assisted on nine of their 26-made baskets. Meanwhile, Oklahoma assisted on 6 of their 23 made baskets. Let's now move on to the quote of the game. We'll bring you some audio from head coach Huber Davis and he talked about the the defensive performance which as he said was the best so far of the season.
0: I thought we were really good defensively. You know, one of the thing that Oklahoma is, is great at is getting consistent points in the paint whether it's post penetration offensive rebounds, so it was a huge emphasis on us. Uh, when they ran their action, which was mostly ball screens, to be, you know, protect the paint. And I thought that that is what allowed us to get some steals and deflections and create 18 turnovers. I just – I do. I think uh, the first half and overall defensively, I think that was our best effort of the season.
1: And, you know, Coach, coach wasn't lying. Um, when you – You know, when you get to go watch a game and sit where media gets to sit at the Spectrum Center, you get a really good advantage point. And it was just evident from the word go that Carolina was active on that end of the floor. They were bought in. They were they were committed, and this was an Oklahoma team that you know we talked about. The challenge was going to be being prepared to guard all five guys at the same time, um, because Oklahoma wasn't going to put guys on the floor that could not put the ball in the basket. Um, and I thought Carolina was accountable for everybody. You know, Ortega Owe would finish with 23 points, but he had to earn them. Um, and he got a lot of it going there. It felt like in the second half as they were trying to get themselves back into the game. But, um, you know, we saw Carolina struggle with Villanova in the battle for Atlantis. You look at collectively against Arkansas, they played well enough to win, but they got cooked by one dude. Um, you go and look at the Tennessee game, Dalton Connect went nuts in that game. The Florida State game, before Carolina went to the full court press, I mean, Florida State had a 14-point lead, was shooting over 50% from the field, over 50% from three, and then we saw what happened against UConn and against Kentucky, where it felt like Carolina was just overwhelmed by their size, their length, and their athleticism. Wasn't the case last night, um, and you got to be really proud and impressed by the effort um, that they put forth uh, in the ball game. Let's now take a look at the stat of the game, and um, to me, this was this was pretty easy. Um, it was. The points off the turnovers and the turnovers that were forced. Carolina forced double the amount of turnovers than they committed and scored 13 more points off the turnovers than what Oklahoma did. And, you know, we talked going into the game that Carolina had to create easy baskets to give themselves to give themselves a chance. Because I didn't know if this game was played in the half court. If Carolina could win, um, and luckily the game wasn't played in the half court, I thought Carolina's defense led to their offense, and it fueled them in ways that needs to fuel this team with the way that they're with the way that they're going to play. Because they're not going to pummel, they're not going to pummel teams on the glass. They're not going to get those extra ten to twelve possessions because they're going to lock. They're, they're going to you know limit you to one shot on the defensive end and get multiple shots on the offensive end. The best way for Carolina to create more possessions is to force more turnovers. We've seen it so far with the full court press. Carolina didn't need it last night, but yet they were still very effective and and, and impacted the game in more ways than one on that on that end of the floor.
0: Yeah, and it just goes back to how well they played defensively it's all about the effort because you saw I mean Cormac Ryan was just I mean every chance that he had to get a hand in there uh he he was able to make the smart play and rip the ball away it then allows Carolina to get out in transition which led to a lot of success I I think you know you you could see that it really rattled Oklahoma at multiple times throughout the game. It completely threw their offense at a rhythm. And, you know, part of it was Oklahoma making their own mistakes. There were definitely some passes that uh, we've seen before. They talked a lot. There were a couple of times Debbie Antonelli pointed out on the broadcast uh, about poor entry passes. We've seen a lot of that here uh, at Carolina the last few years. But... It, it Carolina really, the majority of the night, was forcing Oklahoma into those mistakes with how aggressive they were. Um, I, I think if, if you want a, a play that sort of sums up the night that Carolina had defensively, uh, you you go to that play where Seth Trimble pressures, I believe it was Owe, um, full court is it, just on him right after he gets the ball inbounded. Owe crosses half court and loses it himself, just bounces it. Off of, I think it may he may have bounced it off his foot, or just completely loses the handle of the ball, and it goes out of bounds. That was the type of defense that Carolina was playing last night, and it's something we haven't really seen from them that much outside of Leaky Black um, in a long, long time. So, I mean, for them to be able to force turnovers like that, it, it, it was really what allowed them to to. Set the pace of the game and allowed them to have the type of success that they did offensively, and it's the thing that we wanted to see more of, more from them, uh, you know, throughout the season. And again, they did it against some of the smaller opponents that they had on the schedule. And it's not to say that some of those opponents that they played couldn't, you know, potentially make it to the NCAA tournament, but we had yet to really see this type of defensive performance against a a a, uh, a major conference team and especially one of this caliber oklahoma i know People are going to look at that, that that team and talk about some of the things that we talked about in the preview of them, You know how good really are they, who have they really played to this point. Oklahoma is a, a really good basketball team. Porter Moser is a heck of a coach, and Carolina had that team about as frustrated as you are going to see that team all year, which needs to be uh, something that, that Carolina fans are talking
1: about uh, for the next few days. Yeah, let's, let's move now into our takeaways and discussion topics from the game. Game. I, I, I guess the first thing uh, we, we we want to discuss, need to discuss, is how sustainable is that model that you saw from Carolina last night? How consistent can their defense fuel their offense? Because um, it's really the first time we've seen it in a power conference game setting. Um, you saw it the first three games of the year against the Radfords, against the Lehigh's, the UC Riverside's of the world, um, and in the second half against Northern Iowa in the Battle for Atlantis. But since then, that just hasn't been the case. Carolina's offense has dictated what they've done offensively. They've Whether they shot the ball great, moved the ball, whatever. Um, you, you know, I, I, I think... I, I I think you'll see it show up against the Boston Colleges, the Louisvilles, the Notre Dames of the ACC, the lower-tier teams, if you will. I'm not ready to say that I'm confident that this is going to show up game in, game out, moving forward. It comes down to the buy-in factor. Like, this team, if they buy in defensively, I think can be a really good defensive team because they're versatile. Um, and and one of the things that makes you so frustrated is you got great contributions from a lot of different guys. I thought Steph Trimble, like again, changed the game defensively, impact of the game. I thought I thought Jalen Withers in his four minutes on the floor, despite picking up three fouls. Impacted the game because he got in a stance. He guarded somebody, closed out a shooter, a little too strong on a a, a three-point shot. Twice. Um, But, you know, like there's effort there. Zayden High, a guy that a lot of Carolina people don't understand why he played 12 minutes a second most of any guy off the bench last night. But he impacted the game because he's everywhere. Well, I
0: mean, look, those people that are questioning that move, I mean, I just I don't understand what you are watching. First of all, if you look at what he was able to do immediately when he came into the game. Yeah, the energy is there. Um, he ripped down three rebounds. Who else on this team was rebounding at a high level that was coming off the bench? Nobody. Jalen Withers didn't have a single rebound. He struggled to rebound the ball the entire season. You thought he would be able to rebound at a high level, but he hasn't. Harrison Ingram, I mean, look, seven rebounds is good, but Zayden High is a different type of player. He is a guy that has the size. He likes to get down low and 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 bang with some of these these bigger guys, and he can rebound at a pretty high level. We saw that in the exhibition um, for Carolina. We also saw it a little bit um, in the uh, live-action scrimmage from him. Um, This is a guy that I think he showed you last night that he should get a chance to play moving forward for Carolina because... You can never question the motor with him, um, and he gives you at least something on the glass, which is what Carolina needs at this point. I got to be honest; you talked about Jalen Withers and how active he was. Yeah, he's active. The problem is the dude literally cannot defend without fouling. It's been his problem all year long. You play four minutes, you pick up three fouls. Like, dude, your your minutes are going to have to be limited moving forward if you're not going to be able to stay on the floor. So. I think Zayden High, he's not nearly as versatile as Withers is, but this is a guy that, yeah, he might not be able to switch everything quite like you can do with Withers, but at the same time, he's going to give you something else that you sorely need, which is
1: the ability to rebound the basketball. I got a text mid-bend recording from Nada Edwards. He's the Eye on College Basketball producer, a uh, really, really good f- uh, a friend of mine as well in the basketball community. And he said something that you need to look at also is look at when some of Carolina's best defensive stretches happened last night. It happened with Armando Baycott not being on the floor. And... Um, I, I I do think that this is something that Huber Davis might struggle with internally because of there's a loyalty to Armando and rightfully so. I mean all all that he's accomplished, all that he means, it's hard to not have him on the better. He was fine last night, fourteen and eight, four and nine from the field, even swished in a corner three, which uh caught everybody and their mother by surprise.
0: I mean, I, I dare I say Maybe the moment of the season already. I mean, that uh, when he shot the ball, I literally screamed out, no. And immediately was like, okay.
1: Yeah, it sucks, doesn't whenever you do that, because that's I something mean, that I do very frequently when someone you. takes a bad shot, uh, in my opinion, a bad shot. But um, getting to the point, he... He still played 33 minutes, but there were times where even when the game was in the balance, he wasn't on the court because Carolina's better defensively without him because Jalen Washington, despite not being as strong, rotates better, moves better, but I think it really just comes with, with with the Zayden High factor as well. I think that he just fits better alongside Jalen Washington than he does Armando Bacot. And um, there were times in the game last night that Hubert Davis was was playing defense for offense in key moments, like he had defensive lineups on the court. That that makes me excited because that means he believes in their ability to defend. And how many times did we? really feel that way under coach williams that we believed in their ability that they could they could play defense at a high level wasn't very often didn't have to be because for the majority of the years that program and that team scored 90 and they could outscore anybody this team can score out anybody and can score with anybody. But to be its best version of itself, they've got to be better on that end of the floor. And I think this is something you got one more non-conference game, Charleston Southern. That's that 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 that, that should be a game that you win no problem. But from then on, you get into ACC play and it's three straight ACC games on the road that as of today are quad one opportunities for carolina and i think that'll be the telltale sign as to how sustainable this team can be on that end of the floor the rebounding um you get out you get out rebounded by 7 41 34 11 to 7 on the offensive glass no one in double digits you did have three guys with seven boards or more Ryan Ingram, Baycott, but i I think it's fair to say at this rate this this is not going to be a rebounding team that we that that that's that we're going to think highly of as the season moves along. Um, and there were there were shots last night that Carolina still just didn't get a body on anybody, um, and. I think Ingram's foul trouble impacted how aggressive they were on the offensive glass, but there's no offensive rebounding presence outside of Ramondo Baycott, and there were times last night he was he was nowhere to be found um, on the offensive glass. And as someone that watched this program in its heyday under Roy Williams, arguably be the best rebounding team in the country year in year out, I ain't gonna lie to you. This is this is really frustrating. And I don't, I don't know um, how many average to mediocre rebounding teams win conference championships, advance deep in the NCAA tournament. But this is, I, I think, after eight games played and after five ranked opponents in, in, in a six-game stretch, I think we learned that the rebounding is going to be a deficiency for this team and it's going to be hard moving forward to mask that as the season moves along?
0: Well, it's the way that the team plays. Um, I I think this is just part of what you have to expect with how Hubert Davis wants to play. He wants to play small. He wants to play with guys that are versatile, that can switch everything on defense, uh, and that can stretch the floor. And when you do that, it's going to put a lot of pressure on your five-man. And look, Armando is a guy that clearly... Opponents are focused on trying to take him out of the game. It also, you know, part of it is that he he does the high the high ball screen, um, and you know when when. He does it a lot of the times with RJ Davis. You see RJ take a quick shot. It's hard for Armando to get back into position and get an offensive rebound if RJ is literally taking the screen, taking a couple of steps, and then shooting it. Not saying that's not what RJ should do. He's, wor- I mean, it has worked out very, very well for him, but that's part of the reason that it's just not there uh, on the offensive end. Um, the, the more frustrating part is defensively. Uh, and look, this game wasn't. Nearly as bad as Kentucky. I mean, look, 18 offensive rebounds. That is an insane number. You would never think you'd see that against a uh, a Carolina front line, uh, especially the you know with with what we saw under Roy Williams. But still, this is this is one of those areas where you always felt pretty comfortable that Carolina is not going to get beat to the offensive glass. And for some reason, I I mean, or I guess for them, the defensive glass. And for some reason, it it seems like, and and this one, you know, Oklahoma... I mean, they, they had, you know, a bunch of different guys that I think rebounded at a high level. I think you're seeing a lot of guys get involved. But the thing is, is that, you know, Carolina, there were a bunch of guys that got involved. Cormac Ryan, seven rebounds. Harrison Ingram, seven rebounds. But that's the guy that you're really looking to to step up and rebound at a high level alongside of Armando Bacot. But we said it. We we we. You know th- what this team needs moving forward, if they're going to rebound at a high level, is they need Armando Baycott to return to the 2021-22 version of Armando, the guy that routinely, night in, night out, was grabbing 12, 14, 16 rebounds each and every night. Right now, that just doesn't look like. That's gonna happen. He doesn't even really look like that same type of player. I don't know what it is. I have no idea. Um, but I-, I think in order for Carolina to improve rebounding wise, as hard as it you know as it is to ask him to have to step up even more, that's the guy that if he takes his game back to that level that he was at in his best season at Carolina, then. Carolina's got a chance to be a pretty solid rebounding team. If not, this is probably what you can expect more of moving moving forward. And look, this is a, a Tar Heel team that if, they, if they're going to create turnovers the way they did in this game, if they're going to shoot the way that they have for the majority of the season, then they're still going to have ch- a good chance to win most of their games, especially in an ACC against teams that really don't score the ball all that well if you look at the conference as a whole. But at the same time, you feel like at some point, especially with Hubert Davis preaching it so much over and over again, that somebody has to wake up. The guy I look to, Zayden High, off the bench, could that be your guy that helps you out on the glass? I, I mean, I think that's, that's maybe a small sliver of hope, but I think right now uh, part of it is just that you have to accept this is not a great rebounding team.
1: Nope, it's not, and... Um... I think if Carolina finds a way to mask it and finishes top three in the ACC, wins twenty five plus games and makes it to the second weekend of the tournament, it's really going to speak volumes about the type of coach Huber Davis is. Um, that an area that means so much to this program, your team has a you know is at a loss in, and yet you still find a way to compete night in night out. Um, a big reason why Carolina won the game um, was R.J. Davis. Um, simply sensational. Um, Twenty-three points, seven of eighteen shooting, five of nine from three. He's now shooting thirty-eight percent from behind the three-point line. Um, you know, I I sent the tweet out last night. You know, there isn't a guard in the country that's playing at a higher level than he is right now. Um, if the season ended today, he'd be the ACC Player of the Year. He would be an All-American. And if it wasn't for Zach Eady, he'd probably be uh, the national player of the year. That three pointer he made to make it a seventy three sixty five game late in the second half was important. It was huge. Um, and the fact that he made a bad shot, or he yeah, he made a bad shot because that shot was quick. It was. It wasn't the the closest three pointer you could take. I think it goes to show you just the type of zone that he is in. But it wasn't all on him. You had four starters in double figures, 13 points from Cormac Ryan, even though he was just one of five from three, I thought the thing he did last night was put the ball on the floor and get to the rim. Um, you know, he had he had a couple plays where he took the ball on the defensive end and ran it all the way down the the court for a layup, a foul, so on or so forth. You got 14 from Armando, kind of a quiet night, and then you got Harrison Ingram, 11 points, four of six shooting had the seven rebounds and the foul trouble to me I thought was what really kind of just got everything out of whack for him because his impact was there his presence was there he was all over the place he was um, very chirpy and I think Carolina fed off of that as well but this is the recipe that Carolina needs to have moving forward it can't just be the R.J. Davis show and one other guy You know, when we talked about after the Tennessee game and after the Florida State game that this team kind of gave you the 2012 vibe where you had four guys that you could count on to get you double digit points every night. You didn't see that against UConn. You didn't see that against Kentucky. You saw that last night, and that's why they uh, had so much success offensively against maybe the best defensive team they've seen so far this season.
0: Yeah, and I think there. Were, we knew this this group was always capable of this. We knew that the guys that are out here. We we think that we, we think very highly of them, and um, that's the thing is that they all can alternate when they impact the game. But yes, especially this is the thing. When you're playing in conference against Boston College, Georgia Tech, those types of teams, if it's R.J. Davis and somebody else, that's fine. That probably can win you those games. When you're playing against UConn, Kentucky, Kentucky, Oklahoma some of the best teams in the country that's when you need your guys all to play well and last night I mean I thought everybody you know everybody had their moments where they played well you know the the Guy with the fewest points out of the group was Harrison Ingram, but there were moments where Harrison Ingram was the best player on the floor for Carolina. Extremely efficient night for him, four of six. Um, I, I think he he just impacts the game in so many different ways. Cormac Ryan, I mean, look, wasn't his best shooting night, but in terms of his overall impact. In the game, this might have been the best game that he has had so far this year. Just so active on the defensive end of the floor. It led to him having success on the offensive end. Such an aggressive player. Got to the line five times, which is the second most of anybody on the team. That's what you want to see from him. And I think that's that's another part of his game. He's He's got to be a guy that catches and shoots from the perimeter. There's no doubt about that. But when it's not going down for him like it was it wasn't at times last night, you saw there was a concerted effort by him to get to the basket, get to the foul line, and make your shots there. And then with Armando Baycott, I mean, look, at this point, I mean, expecting that Armando is going to be a guy that's going to match what RJ's doing, especially because RJ is the guy that uh you you want taking the majority of the shots for you in your offense. It makes sense why Armando Baycott isn't going to put up some of the gaudy numbers that he has at times throughout his career. But I think if you can get the type of production offensively that you got from him last night, you'll probably live with that. Four of nine from the field, five of seven from the foul line. Fourteen points overall. Now I don't know how many times you can rely on him to hit a big three for you. I don't think that's something that you should be looking uh, to game in and game out. But at the same time, I think if if that group can perform like that in the big games that they have, and there will be more along the way. You know, games like Virginia, of course, the Duke games that Carolina is going to have to play later in the year. And even though they're not off to the greatest start to their season, I still feel like you'll see that in games against Miami. Uh, that Carolina has to play. That's honestly... Same thing, you know. When Carolina gets the early test in conference play against Clemson, those are the types of games where you're going to need these guys to step up and perform at this type of level on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, and I think, you know, again, they they showed last night that the stage wasn't too big for them in a game where it felt like uh, as you as you labeled it was a swing game. Uh, so you need to see that carryover now as they get into conference play.
1: All right, now let's get into our two discussion topics I want to have before we do get out of this edition um of the podcast you know kind of went off on carolina fans after the kentucky loss that aren't bought in whether it's on this team or um, on huber davis as the head coach you know despite him now being 6 and 4 all time against top 10 opponents there was this idea that he couldn't coach and win in big games despite uh, coaching in a final four coaching in a national championship game um If last night didn't make you a believer, what's it going to take to to win you over? Because... Some semi somewhat backs to the wall type of game you're in your losing streak going into another nine-day layoff that doesn't happen you get a big win you end a a team's undefeated season Um, in the process you pick up your second quad one win of the non-conference season with a chance for the Arkansas one to to work its way back into quad one to give you a three in the non-con like if you're not on board with where this team is right now, what is it going to take to, to, to win Tar Heel fans over that? This is a team capable of competing and worthy of you investing in for the rest of the season.
0: It, 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 look, if this game didn't convince you, then it's really this simple. You are not going to be somebody that is going to enjoy this season at any point. You're always going to try to find the negative in this season. And trust me. You saw it again, you saw it already last night. Well, how good actually is Oklahoma? You know, I, I Carolina won the game, but are we sure they're really that good? I mean, you have wins over Tennessee and Oklahoma. Well, first of all, if you don't think Tennessee is a good team, then I don't really, I, I mean, you need to do a little more research into this Tennessee team. Teams lost three games so far this year, which is what everybody looks at, but the losses are, of course, to Carolina, who you would want them to get beat by, and the other losses are to arguably the two best teams in the country right now, Purdue and Kansas. So, I mean, you to me, you can't take that anything away from Carolina in that game. The only thing that People would make an argument about and the net rating probably is 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 something that uh, has a lot of people thinking this way now with how they they measure quad one uh, and and you know the quad victories or whatever um, that that is still a massive win for Carolina that I don't think enough people are talking about then you add this one that means that Carolina has wins over two top 10 opponents already so far this season. If you don't think that this team is different from the teams that we've seen here in recent years, that this is the best team that we've seen since the 2018-19 team, then you're just jaded. You want this team to have the same issues that the team has had the last few years. I don't understand that mindset to me. I've said it multiple times on this podcast, and I've said it multiple times just when talking about this team this year uh, with anybody that asked me. This team is so much fun to watch. And the last few years, look, there were moments where Carolina was fun to watch, especially during the tournament run in 21-22. But at the same time, I mean, the majority of the year, was like pulling teeth at times watching this team. Don't get it wrong. Would not ever turn the team off. I'm too committed. I I love this program too much. But it was definitely at times, it, it just felt depressing to have to turn them on because you knew we are not going to be watching a team that is exciting to watch, one, and that resembles Carolina basketball. I know this team, we just talked about their rebounding struggles. And and that could be an area where some people are, are are still out on them and say, oh, it doesn't look like Carolina basketball. But I watch this team, and I feel like I'm watching the type of Carolina basketball teams that we grew up loving. It's so exciting to watch them. And to me, I don't see a reason why you shouldn't be bought in on this team. The other thing that that you have to look at as well, and we talked about it on the last edition of the podcast – Guys, take a look around the rest of the ACC. The opportunity is there for this team. Like, I, I, I think some of the people that were crowing about Duke and saying that they were a team that wouldn't have to be you wouldn't have to worry as much about this year. They have too many flaws. I think that's a little insane. I think that's a team that will grow as the season goes along. Um they're always a younger team and look, they play uh, they, this year they played an extremely tough non-conference schedule. Um but outside of them, I mean, who else in this conference can you guarantee me is going to be good? The race is wide open. And Carolina with the wins that they've had, With the way that they have lost those games, which again, people will probably get angry and say, oh, you're taking moral victories. No, Carolina, though, is not getting blown out in these games, which is what we were wanting to see after some of the performances that they put up in the last few years against these types of opponents. I think there's reasons to be confident that this is... You know, as as a, uh, one of our P1s said today, Colin Hogger, that this is a second weekend of the tournament team. And I think, you know, there's there's reasons to also be thinking in the back of your mind that there is potential for this team to be even better than that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right there in lockstep. I picked this team to make the Final Four. Um, I haven't seen anything in the non-conference that's led me to not believe that that isn't possible um and you know they they've got issues but really outside of Kansas Kentucky or Kansas Uh, UConn and Purdue, every other team has legitimate issues that could hinder them from a deep tournament run. And so I think Carolina has put themselves in that second tier of teams that can really compete at the highest level in the sport. The last thing I want to talk about, um, because we, we spent so much time in the preseason talking about this, and it's something that we really talk about every time we get on the microphone is the rotation. And, You know, this is typically the time of the year where you've almost got your rotation set and identified. Last night would tell you that that's not the case because Seth Trumbull played 21 minutes off the bench. Zayden High played the second most at 12. The next highest um, minutes played by someone were Jalen Washington, and he played five. Um, And part of it was, I think it was a matchup, and a lot of it was just the flow of the game where Carolina um, didn't need him as much as they have needed him maybe in some other games. But, you know, you've got another non-conference game before you get into full-tilt ACC play. Is it problematic that we're sitting here once again in December and we get to Christmas and this team does not have an identified set rotation heading into ACC play? Uh, I mean, I don't I don't know. I'm not feeling that concerned because I kind of look
0: at it as you've got so many different guys off that bench that can step up when you need them. Look, you've got a guy that has solidified himself as a key member of your rotation in Set Trimble. He, he's a guy that's going to play a lot moving forward. He should. He's developing his offensive game. You'll love to see that. But I like the fact that we got to see Zayden High last night. We saw some really good things from him. And look, if Carolina throws him back out there, let's say they throw him out there in the game. I I mean, I I don't know. Charleston Southern is not a game you can really judge a a lot on. But let's say when they get into conference play, they have a game where they want to throw him out there. And he struggles a little bit. But you always have the ability to then go back to a guy like Jalen Withers, or use Jalen Washington, whatever you want to do, and you know that there's a chance that those guys are going to be able to step up and play for you. The thing is, and we hear this so much, you know, especially when you hear about some of the guys at the end of rotations in the NBA, you you have a group of guys that is ready to go no matter what. When their number is called, it seems like at times guys step up. I mean, a couple of games ago, you know, we talked about Pax and Wojcik stepping up. Maybe this is where you know he starts to get things together. Um, We've seen you know games from Jalen Withers where he's he's played well. Um, We're starting to see you know some flashes from Zayden High, and I think Jalen Washington. I know he doesn't play a lot of minutes, and I mean, look, the thing is, is that if you're pushing to play him more. Uh, Over Armando Baycott Um, I I think, you know People have to then Sort of temper their expectations Look, if if you're splitting more of the time Then Armando's numbers are not going to be uh, Where a lot of people probably expect them to be But I still think he's contributing well for you So to me, the fact that you've got The mindset of everybody is ready to make an impact When their name is called I think that's something that you have to really like And I think at, at, at this point it's it's only a good thing that you have so many different guys that can impact the game. Uh, if people are complaining about this, that's pretty rich considering that people complained last year that and, and the year before, that Huber Davis wasn't rotating enough. Now you're saying, nah, we're using too many different guys. We need a more concrete rotation. I mean, I, I just, at that point, what the hell do you people honestly want?
1: I, I think the thing I've come to learn about Huber Davis is he's not going to use his rotation the way most coaches use it. Like And he played for a guy that had a scripted out rotation. Coach Smith would tell them, the bench players, this is when you're coming in. This is how long you're playing. You need to be prepared to impact the game for that amount of time. That's not the way he's going to use his bench. Um, He's going to use his bench from a game-to-game basis with a trust and a feel factor. The only guy that I think is guaranteed significant minutes every game is Seth Tremble. That's the one guy that I think you know every game is going to play, you would imagine, anywhere from eight minutes on up. Um, Everyone else, I think it's to be determined. And I think what you've seen with Withers and with Wojcik in the last two games is if they commit uh, a dumb foul, um, you know Withers fouling a three point shooter as you mentioned twice. Wojcik got the the, the technical flagrant foul if you, uh, against Kentucky, which whether it was a bogus call or not, like Hubert Davis is going to punish them by not putting them back on the court, um, and so it's just going to be it's going to be different. It's not going to be the same guys checking in at the same thresh marks at every single game. Um, it's going to be a feel factor. But I think what's evident, more so with this group than the, the previous two, there is more trust. Because this is a game that that last year, while every st- – you know, like Elliot Cadeau played 20 minutes as a starter. Like this was the game last year. Your starters were all playing 37, 38 minutes. You know, you were giving guys breathers basically just here and there, and you were running a five-man rotation. That's not where Carolina's at anymore. Um, he's able to stagger his minutes. I mean, he was able to get R.J. Davis five minutes of, of rest last night. That's a lot because R.J. is a guy that for the last two years has played dang near 38, 39, 40 minutes game in, game out. And, and so I think what, what for what I want to stress to Carolina fans is it's just a different look. It's just a different way about rotating. It's kind of an NBA model where you want every guy on the bench to be prepared. But also, you know, it's not going to be a set rotation where guys are going to check in and play at the same moments every single night. And so um I think and I think it'll get more and more refined as the season moves along. But if you're a Carolina fan that had doubts about the bench entering the season, and I'm right there with you guys, um I, I think you should start to be a little bit more trusting in the fact that he's going to play the guys that he wants to play as he feels that they should play, depending on the game situation and all that. Before we get out of here, just want to once again say, um, you know, just just basically just say... Thank the Spectrum Center, thank the Jumpman Invitational for doing the moment of silence for Eric Montross, um, and, and I, I don't think the the impact that we felt would ever be measured because the, it was it was very quiet. Um, you could you could hear a pen drop in there, and I think it kind of set the tone um, from an emotion standpoint. You saw how emotional both Hubert Davis and Roy Williams were when they embraced after the game. Um, it was a hard night. And if you haven't already done so, um, I do encourage you guys go to YouTube, check out Jones Angels open to last night's broadcast. Um, it's it's as good as Tremendous. three minutes of broadcasting um, you're going to hear um, because you know not that Jones has never been open and honest and vulnerable, but this was this was real emotion, um, and you could tell from then on. As I listened to the post game, it was hard. Um, And I think for the Carolina family last night... Last night was kind of hard, um, but for us to come together and watch this team play and play that way and pick up that type of win, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we'd much rather have Eric Montross here. We'd much rather not be, you know, have have his family go through this process at the Christmas holiday. Um, but I, I I I like to think that him and Coach Smith were looking down from above with a smile on their face, uh, watching the way that team uh, compete last night. With that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. Before we let you go, I do want to encourage you guys to visit the website Heeltoughblog.com where the uh, site's still booming. Um, big day yesterday with the Oklahoma game. You can go and read the recap uh, from that game. Also, it was National Signing Day. Carolina football signed 27 new commits to the program. Anthony breaks down each and every single one of them. Um, and Before you know, we'll be getting you ready for the bowl game, so make Sure, you're staying locked in. That's heeltoughblog.com for the latest Carolina basketball and Tar Heel football um, coverage. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners preview and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Do you want to thank Anthony for hosting with me? We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. sweet of the man